To Freedom to Choose, brought to you by Just As I Am Ministries, giving hope to people caught in the devastation of addiction. In this series, Questions I'd Like to Ask God, Rich Kallenberg shares 10 messages about God who loves you more than you can imagine. A God that wants you to understand Him. And yes, a God that welcomes your difficult questions about Himself and the way He runs His universe. Rich found freedom 18 years ago from his out-of-control life of drug addiction and alcoholism when God found him. Break free from the chains that may bind you or your loved ones. Now here's Rich on Freedom to Choose. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So he's acknowledging that at least he knows what Jesus is doing and what he's up to. Okay? And he's trying to pick Jesus' brain. Jesus answered him and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Born again. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Did Nicodemus understand what Jesus was saying? Didn't have a clue, did he? Did not have a clue. Jesus answered, Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He repeats it. A little more graphic. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Nicodemus said, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him and says, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? That word teacher there also means doctor. Are you the teacher? Are you the one everyone comes to to get their knowledge, and yet you don't understand the simplest thing? Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. As you see the wind... Blow and bend the trees over. You don't see the wind. You see the trees bend over. You see the results of what the wind does. The only way you know, if you're standing inside here, the only way you know the wind's blowing is by the effects it has on nature outside. The leaves blowing by, the trees bending over. Basically, he said, you've misdiagnosed your problem. But how? He's the teacher of Israel. He's the ruler of Israel. He is the Pharisee of the Pharisees. He is a religious leader. He knows the Bible back and forth. When he was a child, he probably had to memorize the Old Testament. I don't know. But he really, really understood his Bible. And he's coming to Jesus and he's saying, what's going on? I don't understand your teachings. And Jesus is saying, this is really, you're the teacher of Israel and you don't understand this? You're misdiagnosing your problem. Did, did Nicodemus worship God on the Sabbath day? Did he pay tithe? Did he study his Bible? Did he eat the right things? Did he go to prayer meeting? Did he speak the right language? Did he claim to know God? Was he blessed with great wealth? From the outside, Nicodemus looked like he had it going on. 
He did everything right. And Jesus says, you lack one thing. You must be born again. Wait a minute. What do you mean? How can I enter in my mother's womb a second time? What are you talking about? Jesus said in John 5, 39, and this is it in a nutshell. If we don't retain anything tonight but this, this is the most important. You study the scriptures, he said to the Pharisees, but you think that in them you will find eternal life. These are the very scriptures that speak about me. Yet you are not willing to come to me in order to have life. See, the Bible has power because it testifies of the one who has the power. Sometimes we don't understand that. That ink and that paper has no power. That ink and the paper testify of the one who has the power. That ink and that paper is all about Jesus, what he does in every situation. And, and, and so we're, we're looking at Nicodemus here. But we can look. What happens is we get in this groove and we'll treat God as a God that's trying to get us into trouble unless we do the right things. Nicodemus did all the right things. And see, that way there, if I do all the right things, I'm not going to get into trouble. You understand what I'm saying? The problem is we're already in trouble. Doing the right things don't get us out of trouble. Jesus is the source of life. Because we want to use the Bible and all the things that we do as a get-out-of-jail-free card. In other words, if I could just be forgiven and get God off of my back, I'll be all right. But Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? See, Nicodemus thought he had a paperwork problem. He said, as long as my paperwork would be in order, all the T's crossed, all the I's dotted, if I do everything just right and my paperwork is in order, I'm good to go. God won't get me then. Are you afraid sometimes God's going to get you? Ezekiel 36, 26 says it this way, A new heart also will I give you. And a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. Now see, these texts were in everything that they had memorized. Yet putting that into practice was, they couldn't comprehend it. Why? Because things became so regimented. If we just did all the right things, we're good. But what happens is, is when you do all the right things for the wrong reason, you begin to look around to see everybody else that's not doing all the right things for the right reason, and you don't look too bad to yourself. That mindset, that problem began to grow with the Pharisees as they began to multiply and add things which they could do to make themselves better and better and better. And the less everybody else did around them, made them look worse and worse and worse, and we look better and better and better. Let's add some more rules, some more regulations, and that way there we will look better and better and better to ourselves. When Jesus speaks of the new heart, he means the mind, the life, the whole being. To have a change of heart is to withdraw the affections from the world and fasten them upon who? Christ. This is from the book Amazing Grace. 
To have a new heart is to have a new mind, new purposes, new motives. What is the sign of a new heart? A changed life. There is a daily, hourly dying to self, selfishness and pride. See, that other method of righteousness fosters pride, fosters selfishness. Because as we multiply rules and regulations, which we ourselves can do in our flesh, we tend to look better and better to ourselves. That's pride. And the Pharisees, as that's why what Jesus taught to them was so opposite of what their mindset was, they couldn't comprehend it. Now, let's look and see what precedes Jeremiah 17.9. Notice what it says. It's very clear. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in who? Man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. See, as we trust in ourselves to try to keep ourselves out of trouble... That's no way to live. We have to remember we are already in trouble. And we come to Jeremiah 17, 9, which says the heart is deceitful above all things. And look at this translation. And desperately what? Sick. Desperately sick. Who can know it? Now that's important because both words fit. This is the English Standard Version. Our problem is that we don't know how sick we are. And that's why the Bible says the heart is deceitful. Your heart will tell you you are running for Congress. Your heart will tell you that you've got it going on. But our problem is we don't know how sick we are because we continue to diagnose ourselves. That was Nicodemus's problem. He was diagnosing himself and Jesus says, you need a new heart. You need to come to me. Now, this is really interesting. It wasn't until King David unknowingly, unknowingly diagnosed himself. That's when he realized how sick he was. See, he thought he was diagnosing someone else. Remember when Nathan the prophet came to him and said, look it, when you took a, he told him, Nathan the prophet told him a story about the lamb and how the, and how the, how the, the outer towner came and the rich man took the poor man's lamb and slain it. And David said, oh, man, that guy deserves to die. Remember? Let's pick it up here where, where, where uh, Nathan had just told David the story. Now, you remember the story, of course. King David was looking down from his roof, and he saw Bathsheba. The problem was Bathsheba was married. But David wanted her anyway, so he said, go fetch her. And he took the woman and he committed adultery with her. And after that, she sent a messenger to King David saying, I'm pregnant. Now David's got a problem because he knows her husband. In fact, her husband works for him. Her husband's in his army. And so David invites her husband home and tries to trick him into going and sleeping with his wife. But the husband's too noble. He says, I won't leave our troops out there while I'm home sleeping with my wife, so he won't do it. 
So David gets him drunk and tries to get him to do it again. He won't do it. So then David writes a note to his general and says, send Uriah the Hittite into the fiercest battle, and when he's there and the battle is the hottest, withdraw the two troops so that he will be killed. And he sends the letter with Uriah himself, so Uriah carries his own death warrant. And that's what happens. So Nathan the prophet comes to David after, and he talks about this, and he says, you know, tells him a story. But what was David before he was king? He was a shepherd, right? So God knew how to get hold of David's heart, didn't he? So I'll, teach, I'll tell him a story about a lamb. And so Nathan tells a story about a man who had a ewe lamb that he loved so much that he fed him from the table. And then there was a rich man who had a visitor coming from out of town who had herds of flocks of everything that he wanted. And still he took the poor man's lamb and slayed it for the feast for his out-of-town guest. And as Nathan told that prophet, told that story to David, David blew a gasket. And it says here in 2 Samuel 12, 5, Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to what? Die. Who was David diagnosing? Himself. Did he know it? No. He was diagnosing, he thought, some other character who had done a horrible thing. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, you are the man. It was only then that he realized that he deserved to die. Why? Now here's the key. This is what the Pharisees couldn't get through their head. And this is what we, a lot of times, can't get through our head. Not because of what he did was against the law. It was against the law, but what he did was sick. How would Paul have diagnosed himself prior to his conversion? We don't have to guess. Now notice I said prior to his conversion. See, Nicodemus was in the process of being converted, and he's asking him, what do I got to do? You got to be born again. Do you think David was born again at that very moment when that hit him between the eyes? How would Paul have diagnosed himself prior to his conversion? Look at in Philippians 3, 4. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the what? In the flesh. What did Jeremiah say? Cursed is the man who have confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Let me tell you how. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, that's, that's the tribe, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He considered himself blameless. Why? He went down that checklist and he could do everything on the checklist. And that kept him, quote unquote, out of trouble. Are you happy with your children? If they do what, they, what you ask them, 
just because they're afraid you're going to swat them? Or would you be more happy with your children if they did what you asked them because they love you? And they love to do it. This is the heart change that Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about. You're just trying to keep your paperwork in order. I want to change your heart. If I change your heart, all the paperwork will automatically be in order. But whatever I gain, I had counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Thank God he ran into Christ. Or he'd still be persecuting the church. He ran into Christ, and Christ changed him. Okay, now. Aortic dissection. I checked with some doctors before I did this. You know what? No fever when you have an aortic dissection. There's no temperature. Okay? Cancer. Some forms of lymphoma, but for the most part, cancer... No temperature, no fever. Clogged arteries, no fever. All right? Heart attack, no fever. But infection, fever. Interesting. Sin is an infection. And it festers and it spreads. Now, if we look in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 15, it says, and just, this is Jesus speaking. He says, I know your works. He's speaking to the last church, the last church on planet Earth. And he's talking to them and he's telling them some very interesting things. And he says, I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Wouldn't you were either hot or cold? So, because you are... 98.6, no temperature, and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. See, if we don't have a temperature, we don't know how sick we are. He says, you're lukewarm. You're 98.6. You don't think you're sick. But you're so sick, I want to spew you out of my mouth. Just because you're not running a temperature doesn't mean you don't, you're not sick. For you say, I am rich. Did the Pharisees say I was rich? Yes. I have prospered and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and what? Naked. Bible in basic English says you are not conscious of your sad and unhappy condition. You're not aware of your sad and unhappy condition. Nicodemus was sick and he didn't know it until he ran into Jesus. David was sick and he didn't know it. And of course, Paul was sick and he didn't know it until he ran into Jesus. Jesus says the whole world is sick and we don't know it. I can't help a drug addict that maintains he doesn't have a problem. You cannot help someone that doesn't have a problem. And this is what Jesus is saying. We have to understand that we have a problem. 
before he can help us. You cannot help some, someone that doesn't need help. When the sharp pain shooting through the Lisa Strong's back got worse, she thought it was another kidney stone and expected this, this, the discomfort to pass. This time was different. Through a series of mistakes, miscommunications, and misdiagnoses, something terrible happened to Lisa. On September 20th, 2003, she was at her job in a small, at a small, at a mall and could barely walk. She went home and hours later, the pain grew more intense. Her what? Fever spiked at 106. She decided to go to the ER. Why? Her fever spiked. I told the nurse I had kidney stone. I had a history of kidney stones, said Lisa now 45, but the stone was never treated, setting off a downward spiral that triggered a life-threatening infection and septic shock that starved her limbs of blood. Her flesh turned black as a line of death crept up her arms and legs. It didn't stop for a month. I figured if I exercised, moved around, I could get circulation back, but it's like frostbite, she said. My fingers turned black. My toes and the bottom of my feet turned black. My fingers started to curl. It looked like I had held them in a fire, like they were charred. A month after she went to the hospital, doctors amputated her legs below the the knees. Three days later, her arms below the elbows. Sad. They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are what? Sick. Now notice, Jesus says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance, because the righteous will not repent. They won't do it. So our question tonight is, what is God's toughest job? His toughest job from my perspective, is me. What is this toughest job from your perspective? Can he persuade you to come to him? That's his toughest job. His toughest job, from my perspective, is persuading me to come to him. Because I can think of a whole host of things and reasons why not to. Oh, do I throw him right out there, Adam? No. But I show him by the way that I act. It's revealed in my actions where my priorities are. And he waits. And he persuades. And he waits. And he shows. And he helps. And he fixes and he doctors me up and sends me back out there, and I get bruised again, and I don't come back to him till I'm really, really beat up. And then I tell him, fix it again for me. And he fixes it. Every time he fixes it. But then when things start going good and I don't need fixing, I don't go to him. Remember? He says, I call sinners to repentance. I can't help the righteous. But when things start going good, I start running on my own power, like Jeremiah 
17.5 says, when a man runs on his own flesh, on his own will, he can't make it. So even when you're feeling best on your best day, I got news for you. That's Christ working in your behalf. He is the source of life. Search the scriptures because in them you think you will find life, but they won't come to me. They are they which testify of me. That's what Jesus says. That's where the power is. And so my prayer for everyone here tonight is that there will be nothing between you and the Savior. And think about that tonight. From your perspective, what is God's toughest job? From your perspective. I know from mine, it's me. Nothing between. You know, it's a real simple recipe. Do I love my Thank you for listening to Freedom to Choose and this series, Questions I'd Like to Ask God. If you or someone you know is living in addiction captivity and having trouble finding God, Rich and Susan Kallenberg are living testimonials that God does work miracles. They've created a seven-step biblically-based handbook and a recovery workbook to move those you love toward freedom. If you'd like to order the addiction recovery workbook for yourself or someone you know, just give them a call and they'll send it to you. 916-645-1297 or go to justasiamministries.com as a nonprofit they're supported by people like you 916-645-1297 or justasiamministries.com thank you for listening and remember you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you